Happy Friday, everyone, and thank you for joining us on Fried Okra, the public education podcast for Oklahomans. I'm Carrie Coppernall Jacobs with the Oklahoma Education Association. And I'm Catherine Bishop, president of the OEA. Fried Okra is a weekly podcast where we get together to talk about public education issues in Oklahoma. We hope you'll join us every Friday. Well, we are so excited today to have a, a, a guest who is way outside of Catherine and I's comfort zone of expertise. Yes. <laughs> uh, Trevor Rogers, Executive Director of the Film Education Institute of Oklahoma. Trevor, how are you? I'm well. Thanks so much for having me on. Yes, we are so excited to talk to you. Um, so give us, for folks who might not be familiar, uh, give us sort of big picture. What is uh, FEIO? So the FEIO for the Film Education Institute of Oklahoma, and we are a charitable nonprofit that is entirely dedicated to connecting any and all that are interested in uh, working in Oklahoma's rapidly growing film and television industry. And so that includes that includes students. That does. Um, we serve students across the state. Uh, by providing uh, educational training opportunities to place students on actual film sets um, about twice a year. Yeah, it's a a ton of fun. We we have the opportunity uh, twice a year to get to play movie producer where we we will essentially put on a production for nobody's benefit but the student. We, We make an actual movie that it's a movie that very few will see uh, outside of really the cast and crew. Yeah. But uh, it's the equivalent of about a $7 million feature film condensed down into about four days. So we run through the the full experience of of what it takes to work on a film crew. And and these students, they don't don't come in and it's not a classroom setting. It's... Right, right. Uh, it, it, they're not. They're not anybody's assistant. They're not anybody. They're not shadowing anybody. They are. They they come in and they get the opportunity to work as as these credits, these positions that you see in the movie credits at the end of a movie, as grips, electricians, camera operators, uh, whatever you kind of see there. Students from all across the state get the opportunity to do that, and they do so under the guidance of uh, our, our advisory committee, which is, uh, you know, uh, over 40 industry professionals that have worked on the largest movies, not only here in Oklahoma, but around the world. Yeah, Trevor, you're just talking crazy talk here now, because <laughs> um, it sounds to me like you are giving, like, hands-on learning, real-world experience to our students. Um, is there a particular grade level that you target, or do they need to be more secondary? Uh, do you take kindergartners? Um, <laughs> so, so we're working on the kindergarten program. We'll, we'll get there. We'll get there in a couple years. Um, our, our, our program began. Um, we started providing these training opportunities about five years ago. And it was out of the necessity to help staff about a $3 million movie that was coming in at the time. And at the time, that was a huge, huge movie coming through Oklahoma. I mean, everybody wanted to be on it, but we didn't have enough folks. So uh, we pulled at the, primarily from uh, the college level and community college level um, with, a, with a lot of students coming from particularly like Oklahoma City Community College. Um, we, we've since expanded that as I've really delved in over the last 
uh, three years into the world of career tech. And that also cool. naturally transitioned us into, uh, into the high school ranks as well. And so we offer programs um, that there's a lot of collaboration with those college level students. Um, but we also offer programs that are kind of specifically tailored to those high school and career tech age students. So when I think, so I, I used to teach journalism and I immediately, when you started talking, I remembered a time when a student named Chris built a boom mic out of two brooms. And I was like, man, if that kid could have had some experience like this, can you talk about like the equipment they use? Is Are we talking like real real movie set stuff? Oh, yeah. So uh, the fun thing about our, our workshops is we're placing about two and a half million dollars of equipment in student, student fans. You're so brave. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it, 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 it's so fun. Um, we're fortunate. We, we began this program at a production company called Nathan Gardaki Productions uh-huh. based out of Oklahoma City. And NGP is uh, primarily a equipment film equipment rental house. Okay. And so we had this opportunity where we had all this equipment sitting on the shelves and we could we could utilize it for our students, give oh, them the man. opportunity to play with it because yeah. these are the tools that they're going to be working with on set. Yeah. So when students when students come to our workshop, you know, it's not uncommon for us to put, you know, a 17-year-old student on a dolly to move the camera that oh, the dolly itself it costs about three hundred thousand dollars. That oh the camera package, you know, we'll put we'll put a two hundred eighty thousand dollar camera package on top of it um, because students need to be comfortable using these tools. Um, you know, we have insurance for a reason, uh, <laughs> so uh, we we want students to to be comfortable using these tools because this is what gets used on every movie set every day, from big to you know from from big to small. Um, these yeah. are the tools that they they need to have. You know, I think I mean when the way you're describing it, it's just like. You know, just like we want our chemistry students when they go to college to know how to use Bunsen burners uh-huh. and all of the equipment mm-hmm. that comes those, in their labs. Those hazardous it's the exact same equipment. thing. Yeah. Yeah, you were talking about sets. Ha- have there been actual movie sets that you've been able to take students to to get this uh, real world experience? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, so one one major benefit that we have is, uh, you know, I, I spent my career before before hopping into kind of this, this education development um, workforce aspect, uh, I was I was a line producer and production manager in the Oklahoma City market for about five years. Oh, cool! And so we're we're incredibly connected uh, to all the filmmakers here in the state. And though we don't really do like any set tours, so to speak, mm-hmm. that's kind of what the workshop is about. Students come in and they step onto this large scale movie set. Yeah. And there's about 200 individuals there, which is about the equivalent of a, of, a, of a relatively large feature film here. Um, they get that experience there. But because their instructors are actual filmmakers, these are the ones that are working on, you know, Killers of the Flower Moon, <sighs> Stillwater, <laughs> Reservation Dogs. I mean, the biggest yeah. shows here not only these these filmmakers, uh, not only are they just crew members, but they're also department heads, which means they're the ones that are doing the hiring. Oh. So we've been yes, we've been incredibly <laughs> fortunate 
for this program, we often like to call ourselves the bridge between student and professional, yeah. where students can step in, participate in this workshop, and then they, because they've learned directly under their department head, it is not uncommon in the slightest for our department head to call our students literally a week later or two weeks later and say, I'm hopping on a $15 million movie next week oh, that's shooting word. for the next six weeks. I need extra hands. Would you like to come work? What? Uh, and so Get out of town. No, seriously. <laughs> it is all about that immediate connection. That's so cool. Um, and uh, we've, we've placed over 200 students what? on actual large movie sets in the last five years. So, you know, there's always this thought. Um, it was the thought of my nephew um, who 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 wanted to be in the movie industry, and where did he go? He moved to California. Of course, right. And guess what? He did not get in the <laughs> movie industry. But what I'm seeing here in Oklahoma, especially like at the Cox Center and everything that's happening, yeah. how how fast is the movie industry, film industry, um, changing here in Oklahoma? And and, and what benefits are going to be available for our students? Well, it's a night and day industry compared to when I started. I, I've worked in film and television for uh, a little over a decade now, specifically mm -hmm. working in film for about six years. Mm -hmm. And when I started in film, like I said, if a $3 million movie came to Oklahoma, that was a huge deal. Yeah, that was the yeah. movie that everyone had to be on. Our bread and butter for a long time were these $1 million or less, you know, feature films for like the Lifetime channel or Hallmark yeah. Christmas movies. Like, yeah. Believe it or not, a lot of Hallmark Christmas movies are made right here in Guthrie, Oklahoma. Really? Um, so if you're, if you're always in the mood looking for that movie where some Southern hunk is going to teach a New Yorker the true meaning of, of Christmas, it, it was filmed right here in Oklahoma, <laughs> I promise. Yeah, and those are already starting. <laughs> Yes, yes. And so um, now, so I, I nearly moved, when I made the transition, my goal was actually to move out to Atlanta that has a booming film yeah, industry yeah. Um, and ultimately decided to stay here because of the connections that I made here. Yeah. And now the opportunities are, are just abound. They're, 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 uh, they're a plenty for everyone um, with, with this new, the infrastructure that is being invested in here, the new studios that are coming in with, mm -hmm. you know, Prairie Surf Studios has renovated yeah. the Cox Center yeah. and turned it into, you know, the largest clear span sound stages in, in, in the country. Um, you know, Green Pasture Studios out, yes. in, uh, out in Spencer, Oklahoma. There's so many opportunities. I mean, you know, even during the pandemic, we had nearly 40 feature films shoot in Oklahoma. Holy and they're smokes. stacking on top of each other. How did so I, how did so I miss these? I could have been an extra. Well, <laughs> uh, uh, well so uh, extras, um, I, we need to get you hooked up with Chris. We need to get you in there. Um, but these, a lot of them, you know, are still kind of these $1 million or less movies, yeah. but like I said, you're seeing, I mean, Killers of the Flower Moon, which yeah. I had the, the privilege of working on for four months, oh, doing wow. specifically crew development and crew education. Oh, cool. um, you know, that was a, two, a $280 million production. Wow. And not only was Holy it the, the largest movie in the in the state of Oklahoma filming, at the time it was the largest movie shooting in the world, right oh, in wow. our backyard. Wow. And so that, 
I don't anticipate a movie of that size coming back anytime soon, but yeah, you're going to see less and less of these one million, I wouldn't say less and less, but these one to one to two million dollar movies still be prevalent, but now we're starting to see 10, 15, 20, 25 yeah. million dollar movies consistently coming here. And that provides so many opportunities for students to not only get on set, mm-hmm. but we're also in an amazing opportunity where you can move up very quickly here in Oklahoma. You can become a big fish in a small pond. Um, and, and that's going to give students a, an advantage that they wouldn't find maybe in Atlanta or wouldn't find in Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's such a big, that's such a big deal for our kids. So how can people get involved? I, we have a lot of educators listening and I'm sure that there are people who are like, Oh my word, I want this for my students. I want to get involved. What do people do? So um, let me let me back up just a okay. little bit. Okay. Um, when when we started our because it, it it ties directly to this. When we started our workshops, like I said, it was kind of out of a necessity to help staff this movie, mm-hmm. and um, it was intended to take students that had some sort of film training already. Mm-hmm. So like I said, we worked very closely with uh, OCCC, which right, has right. an awesome film program. Yes. We took a lot of students from the University of Oklahoma mm-hmm. um, through the Gaylord College of Journalism, and we wanted to connect them and kind of, again, be that bridge from student to professional. But what we found was that the industry was growing so quickly that uh, there were opportunities for students to come to our workshop, which at the time was just two days. And if you had a positive attitude, showed up on time and could lift heavy things, um, <laughs> or, or the quick thinker, quick on your feet, you could find yourself working on a movie set really quickly. Yeah. So that had a ton of positives. That was great. But at the same time, we also found that it was a little detrimental to the future of our crew base. There was a lot of steps kind of being skipped to properly train these yeah, folks. Yeah. And so the, our mission mission was never to supplant um, or subvert, um, you know, traditional education. Right. Uh, it, it merely in, it intended to be supplemental. Yeah. So uh, we, about two and a half years ago, we started this process where we realized we need to better involve and, and better craft curriculum that is film specific got it so the other, i love that the, the other word curriculum are, is in there <laughs> curriculum yes <laughs> yes yep 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 <laughs> so uh we had to we had to think long and hard about you know the specific needs of the industry and kind of do some soul searching as what was already working in existing classrooms mm-hmm. we decided that we we're not a film school i don't want to be a film school. yeah um we don't have the resources to be able to do that. But what we can do is, you know, there's, there's school districts all across the state that already have wonderful uh, media, digital media training Mm -hmm. programs Mm -hmm. where we could implement filmmaking skills into those programs and better prepare students for our industry. Because what we kind of found was a lot of, a lot of places weren't really looking at film and television because, it's 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 out in LA. It's out yeah. it's out in Georgia, in New York. Yeah. Now it's here in our backyard, um, and so we had to take kind of some of those those broadcasting programs and and shift them a little bit. So mm-hmm. we've cra- we uh, we've crafted and are currently crafting uh, more and more programs that are implemented at the high school and career tech level, 
So educators that are out there, if you are interested in bringing filmmaking to your school, we have programs available for you that, you know, we, we, we give away. We don't, we don't sell our curriculum um, because it is a massive team effort that we need buy-in from across the state to get as many individuals uh, invested in this as possible. And so students, or excuse me, educators and, and schools can reach out directly to us awesome. um, to, uh, to get involved in our programs. In fact, I'm about to host uh, later this morning, I've got about 10 schools that are coming um, from all across the state as we're going to walk them through our, our, our Film 101 curriculum that lays out for students the industry essentials that they're going to have to have to have. Well, that's amazing. Well, I'm, I'm sure that people will continue to take advantage of what you guys are doing. It's really exciting. And we know that you're super busy. So we appreciate your time so much, Trevor. Hey, thank you so much for having me on. Um, you know, we're, I'm so thankful and grateful for our, our teachers across the state that are buying into this program. Filmmaking, what I love about it is, I, I always say that there's a job for anyone and everyone mm-hmm. um, and, and getting this kind of buy-in um, from, from all of these partner schools and educators across the state, it, it just provides, it, it's a, it's a great way to educate people in so many ways. And it goes beyond film. It's just a, it's just a fun skill set that you can implement uh, in so many different ways um, that, that this really is engaged, active learning for our students. Um, that can make them think outside the box. I love it. Well, Trevor, thank you again for being on, and we look forward to continuing this conversation with you. Thank you guys so much. It was a pleasure. Well, joining us this morning is the illustrious Ellen Pogamiller of our legislative and political organizing team. Good morning, Ellen. Morning. And she's sitting in her... Ellen Pogamiller chair. That the, official the official honorary <laughs> chair. <I'm back>. Yep. <laughs> um, well, we wanted to, to talk today about the teacher shortage. Um, we've had some interim studies about this issue. Can you kind of give us a recap of what lawmakers have been talking about? Yeah. We, I mean, we had four different studies that focused on teacher shortage. Okay. Um, and we also, I felt like the majority of studies I went to when we looked at challenges facing public education, even if the study wasn't on teacher shortage, mm. it was a part of the conversation. Um, this is a national problem. It's not just impacting Oklahoma, but we do, we are facing it um, head on, you know, and we understand that not only are we losing teachers, young teachers mm-hmm. in the profession, mm-hmm. um, one out of six teachers, State Department of Ed are kind of moving around. Um, we also know that we have a very high percentage of re- teachers that are on the brink of retirement yeah. and we're going to lose those educators yeah. too. Yeah. So it's a, it's a real, um, you know, crisis that we're facing. And then this week, the State Board of Ed approved 250 more emergency teacher certifications, which brought our total to like 3,400, which was the highest number of emergency certifications we've had um, since we've started that process. And it's October. And There's it's October. Uh, we're still going to need people by the end of the year. There's still vacancies, still mm-hmm. those issues. Uh, and knowing last year that our College of Education only graduated in our state 1,100 graduates ready oh to gosh, step into classrooms if they all stayed here in our state. Right. right. And that was one of the things they talked about is like our, you know, the typical kind of traditional route mm-hmm. 
your those educators were filling roles of educators who were retiring. Mm -hmm. And now mm -hmm. the majority of ed students going to teaching mm -hmm. are filling roles of people leaving the profession, not at retirement. Yeah. And even if you looked at retirement, we had a we had a record number of retirees this summer. Right. So um, what were what were the, some of the things that lawmakers talked about in their interim studies? So some of the things that kind of they focused on, I would say kind of, you know, how do we support and increase the traditional route mm. of educators? Mm -hmm. um, how are we supporting and mentoring educators when they get to our schools? Mm. Are we? Are we? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Are we? Yeah. We should. Right. But, right. You know, mm. that is a real challenge. And then are we retaining those teachers? Mm -hmm. And so those were kind of the themes I got from, from the conversations. But, you know, clearly there's a pipeline problem. Um, clearly educators need some social and emotional help after the last two years. Yes. It's been incredibly stressful. Yeah. yeah. And so, you know, there is, when we talk about solutions or we talk about problems, there's a huge list and there's not right. like one little right. piece that right. would solve it and all. Right. You know, there is, when, when I think about that, people are looking for some silver bullet. Yeah. If there was, everyone would already be doing it. Yeah. Yes. I mean, it's a complex problem that requires a complex solution. Mm -hmm. There's no magic answer because every state would do it. We all would be doing right. it yesterday, but there's not really that one thing to fix everything. It's kind of like what educators are going through right now. It's not just one thing that is exacerbating all the stress and the workload, it is layer upon layer upon layer. Mm -hmm. And you get to a point where you cannot go forward. And so Catherine, talk about you, you've been out in the state um, yeah. in recent weeks, yeah. talking to people all over um, Northeast Oklahoma mm -hmm. in particular. So, yeah. I mean, you're, what are you hearing about this? You know, that's, um, it, so last night I was in the Tulsa area, Northeast, but in the Tulsa area. And, and you, you almost assume that it's our early career teachers that are leaving. Like, oops, there's the wrong field. It's too much. It is our veteran teachers mm. that are leaving. Mm. And one of the things that I specifically heard last night that I thought was so interesting, um, and, and heartbreaking because of the public divisiveness that is happening this year and, and, and what district level administrators and school boards are having to deal with, then I absolutely understand that because of the outside pressures on them, teachers and support professionals don't feel like they have their back. Yeah. And they're just yeah. trying, because it's become so divisive, they're trying to appease so many people and they're not taking care of their educators that are in the buildings every day. And and there's logistical hurdles. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's actual, you know, I mean, you've got sort of this cloud, but there are also the logistical hurdles of dealing with a teacher shortage, yeah. dealing with a sub shortage, dealing with students who have needs that are exponential mm -hmm. compared to previous years. Right. Yeah. And that's been, you know, it, it takes an educator a, a couple of months to get into the school year, to really take a good look, a deep look. You've done your formative assessments. You know where they're at. Because you have new students every year, right? right you right. have new students mm -hmm. every year. And you're, 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 at, you're looking at them academically. You're assessing them. You're seeing where they're at, where their, their starting point is. But they're also seeing the, um, the, how 
disruption of learning has affected their social, emotional development and growth as well. Mm-hmm. And um, knowing that if I was, if I'm in ninth grade, it really I'm looking at about developmental, social, emotionally about seventh grade, right? And, and we're seeing the effects of that. So it is always we keep saying it. It is about the whole child. Not just mm-hmm. the academic piece, mm-hmm. but the social emotional piece. And, and we have lived through a pandemic and we are still in one. And that's mm-hmm. what another uh, key point that keeps being brought up. People feel like we've just need to go on this year, you know, like business as usual. And we're still in a pandemic. And, you know, one thing is we, we often talk about that kids are resilient and they are, mm-hmm. but kids have also been affected by what has happened and they're bringing that with them to school. Just like, just like we bring it with us to work, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so what are things that, that can be done? Did lawmakers talk solutions, Ellen? I mean, they always, you know, <laughs> do they talk around it? Or they, do they you talk know, about they do try to offer, you know, wouldn't, wouldn't you agree? Wouldn't, Those, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Of, wouldn't you agree? Loaded question. Yes or no. Um, we get a lot of those. Yeah. But I, I do think there are some aspects. Um, you know, when we talk about recruiting, um, younger people to take the traditional route, we talk about, you know, the State Department of Ed's paying um, yes, teachers, teachers during, yes. you know, yes. that that year and, and and how important that is. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. it is it is a fellowship. It is, you know, it's a type of training that is so necessary mm-hmm. and that should be supported um, mm-hmm. in that manner. Um, we talk about, you know, different routes to getting their paraprofessional routes. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. I. My favorite one that I heard about, and I was just, I was just sitting there leaning in, and it was Oklahoma City Public Schools through the foundation, their foundation. Mm-hmm. It is, they are raising their own money mm-hmm. to provide college tuition. I mean, it is books, fees, tuition, the, the whole, you come out debt-free and, and utilizing their paraeducators. So they're, they're working. They have a partnership with UCO in the College of Education. So they're getting in-person learning as well. And what the piece I love is they're really focusing on two parallel paths. So making sure that, um, our students who are non-English speakers, mm-hmm. we've got, we're focusing on that, mm-hmm. but also the diversity path. We, mm-hmm. we always know that there, we need to be bringing in more educators of color into mm-hmm. our workforce. But here was a really, really cool thing that I loved. Yes, we got a pathway for paraeducators to classroom, right? Mm-hmm. But that's only goes so far. But what they were also targeting was high school students mm-hmm. to show them that they could come in, have a job. Yeah. Have get a college education, yep. walk out debt free into it, so it's that it's that pipeline that we're talking about. And I don't know if you know this, but my first grader last year in kindergarten had one of the two first graduates of that program. <gasps> oh. uh, and so she had um she had a graduate uh, there were a mother mother and daughter paraprofessionals, <gasps> I know, and graduated through the bilingual teacher pipeline program and because of the pandemic, I listened to a lot of fifth grade and a lot of kindergarten <laughs> all year long. Um, and listening to her teacher was just phenomenal because there were so many um, Spanish speaking students in her class that she could communicate with the 
she did everything in English and Spanish. She oh, did, so um, nice. she could talk to all the parents and yeah. it was just, it was amazing. And Ren had an exceptional, as my first grader had an exceptional experience in kindergarten, despite the pandemic. Yeah. And yeah. I just was like, good gravy. What a first year to be a teacher. Good Lord, hang in there. But she did amazing. And she's back this year, you know, and, and she had been working as a para before. It was, it was, a. I think it's a brilliant solution. I, mean, I love it. Think about it this way. Um, our students that are going through the college, through the traditional route, the college of education, so many of them have just gone from high school to college, which is great. Mm -hmm. It was great. Mm -hmm. Perfect. But you have no actual experience to connect what you're learning to mm -hmm. and think of the value from the that are going that paraeducator route. Mm -hmm. They're getting daily experience and getting to apply that. Yeah, they know what a classroom's like. But by focusing on high school students, I thought that was ingenious because they're not creating another shortage right. of paraeducators. They're right. filling, mm -hmm. they're creating that pipeline. And that's what we have to start thinking of systems. Right. And quit exactly. piecemealing exactly. things all the time. You know, here's a program, do this. You know, I think yes. back to 1017 and the reforms that were brought in with 1017, lower class lies, how you teach pay. But one of the things that came in was our residency year mentorship mm. for our first year teachers. You had a team. My college professors were on that team. Um, I know, crazy talk this down here. This sounds amazing. I know. Uh, my mentor teacher, we met two to three times a year. And then if you successfully accomplished that residency year, then you were then duly certified. Oh, but, that's awesome. Yeah, it was it was it was a robust program and we have put moratoriums on it. Yeah. And I um Representative Conley actually talked about that program. I oh, can't yeah? remember yeah. what year it started, but it um I mean, I feel like she said, don't quote me on this, 1982 to 2012 yeah. was yeah. that program. Yeah. And and I can only imagine the impact that would have on someone during the hardest year of teaching. Oh, yeah. To have professional support, to to help people say, mm -hmm. you will make it through this year. Yeah. Well, so, yeah. I mean, the, I love those kind of system level reforms. That's what we need. No more Band-Aids. Please no. think so. <laughs> and the and the problem is so pronounced now. Yes. You know, yes. it is not it's not a blip. Like, oh, remember that year in 2017 yeah. where we Right. No, this is has become a problem, yes. you know, an yes. issue and we have addressed yes. it, you know, through emergency, which mm -hmm. Catherine always says emergency means there's a problem. <laughs> yeah, it is know? an actual emergency. It's an emergency. <laughs> yes. But but now is the time and I I do think by having four interim studies Clearly, this is something that the legislator wants legislature wants to address. So, are we done with interim studies? We are done with interim studies. Yes. <laughs> so, what happens now? So now, I mean, technically, legislators can begin filing bills at any point. Oh my word! Um, so there have been a handful of bills. Oh really? That have already been filed. Okay. But um, you know, so now it's kind of. That time where you start seeing legislators, you know, where we start meeting with legislators to kind of figure out what are some agenda things that we yeah. think would be helpful moving into January. Yeah, so. I know our, um, you know, committee Saturday, our yes. standing committees will be meeting next Saturday. And one is the legislative committees. And, yes. and one of their charges that they have is to look at our legislative goals that were adopted by Delegate Assembly last year. And I'm trying to talk without taking a breath. But <laughs> um huh. But they will take those goals and then they will create what is called our legislative agenda. Yeah. And it will be anywhere from seven to 13 items 
it can be as many as they want. Um, but here's what we're focused on. Mm-hmm. Here yeah. are our priorities because our goals are big and broad and right, right. there's a lot of them, but it, it really hones in. And, and I know, Ellen, we, we look to legislators yes. for those, yes. for bills that's, on that's those That's kind issues. of our, you know, our go forth yeah. and, and work. So oh, man. we'll be looking forward to that. Too. It's an exciting slash terrifying time of year. Thank you so much, Ellen, for keeping an eye for you and the legislative team, keeping an eye on all the studies this session. And, and uh, we look forward to seeing what's coming in the next few weeks. All right. Thanks. Well, let's just take some time and catch up with Catherine. You know, this is the time to start thinking about everyone in our profession and the incredible job they do because our OEA awards have opened up. Our applications are open. You know, we are so, we're not good about recognizing what a great job we do. And this Mm. is a time to to look at the people, look at our members, look at what they're doing and the, and to celebrate them. So mm-hmm. you can go to our website, okea.org slash awards. There is a multitude of awards from teaching um, students to teaching teachers, human and civil rights, um, human relations, yes, communications. Yes. All oh my goodness. If you're a journalism teacher, I'm going to talk to you right now Yes, because your students are doing an incredible job about, um, with their publications, about highlighting education. We want to recognize you and we have a lot of different categories that you can apply for. Celebrate your students. Celebrate your colleagues. Yeah, it's great. And talking about celebrating, we have an LPO position, our legislative political organizing position that is now open for applications. You cannot sit in Ellen's chair. I know. I am am sitting in it. <laughs> but yeah, come and work for our team. And help that promote all of our legislative oh goals, gosh, help yeah. members organize. Like it's a fun job that I would be terrible oh at. Oh my goodness. That if if you are that politically active person that said, yes, this is what we need to be doing at the Capitol today. This job is for you. If you pick out what you wear on election day, <laughs> yes, this job is for, for you. you. If you say, did you vote? Yes. If you, this job is for you. Have you harassed your friends and family? (laughs) Yes. You know who you are. (laughs) But we would love to have you go online. You can see the application. It's okea.org at at slash, not at slash careers. Um, And that position is open for applications. And, you know, talking about recognizing the Mm -hmm. academic all state. Uh, yeah. For our students, where educators can nominate high school seniors, yes, for academic Allstate, uh, you can. It's on uh, ofe.org, which is the Oklahoma Foundation, Foundation for, for Excellence. Excellence. Yes. That's what the E stands for, yes. <laughs> which would make total sense. And that stays open until December the second. But you know. It, Yes, things are tough. Things are hard right now, but we need to be celebrating what we are doing, what our students are doing, and Amazing. recognizing that. Amazing it's stuff. Just, um, yes. You, sometimes you just have to do it for yourself. Yes. If nobody else is going to do it. Yes. <laughs> and so, but most importantly, Sunday is Halloween. Yeah. And so happy Halloween to everyone. I hope that uh, you've, I have not, and I will today, go and get bags and bags of candy to hand out, which is our favorite thing to do. No one comes to our house. Oh, 
we stand out in the cul-de-sac and go, come here. If someone, <laughs> if a kid came to our house, they would get all of the, literally all of the candy. I will give you all of the candy. But children are, I don't know. Children look down our street and they're like, mm, The funny thing is, nah. one time I let Roy pass out the candy, my husband Roy, and uh, he's very con- physically conservative. Let's mm-hmm. put him that way. Mm-hmm. We have a budget. Mm-hmm. And I said, Halloween candy is not on a budget. You do not <laughs> give just one piece. You give a handful of yeah. pieces. So. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> he doesn't get to be the candy <laughs> hander out no or more, anymore, anymore. No more of that. <laughs> well, don't be a Roy. Give out all the candy. <laughs> oh, man. Well, we want to say thank you so much to Ellen Pogo Miller of our legislative team, Trevor Rogers of the Film Education Institute of Oklahoma for joining us. And thank you for listening to Fried Okra, the public education podcast for Oklahomans. I'm Carrie Coppernall Jacobs with the Oklahoma Education Association. And I'm Catherine Bishop, president of the OEA. Please remember to subscribe, rate, and review Fried Okra on Apple Podcasts. You can also contact us at friedokrapodcast at gmail.com. We hope you'll join us again next week. Until then, keep fighting the good fight for public education.